Rock music author Joel Selvin joins us, and he's got a new book, Hollywood Eden, about rock music uh, in the 50s and 60s and that whole kind of Southern California scene, and he joins us now. Joel, how are you? Hi, Joel. Great. Good to be with you, fellas. Boy, Stephen King calls you a rock legend. That's high praise, Joel. He's uh, quite the guitar player. He knows about 5,000 <laughs> songs. Well, we were on a bus together for three weeks. Uh, playing in an all-author rock band called the Rock Bottom Remainders. Yeah, I think Mitch Album was in that too, wasn't he? He sh- he joined up later. He, okay, he was a substitute at some point. But yeah, Dave Barry and Amy Tan and Matt Groening and uh, oh, that's great. Uh, fellow rock critics Dave Mars and Greil Marcus. It was pretty hilarious. Well, congratulations on a uh, yet another successful rock book, Hollywood Eden. It came out last month and. Tell me if I have this correct, right? Because the 50s, Southern California, I mean, it's Annette Funicello and Frankie Avalon, and they're on in Beach Blanket Bingo and Dead Man's Creek. It's all fun and sun. And then you get into the 60s, it kind of carries over. But by the end of the 60s, it's you were dropping acid, I am the walrus, helter-skelter. The, it it sure, certainly ended differently than it began, did it not? Uh, no kidding. Uh, the Annette Funicello, Frankie Avalon movies were drawn from the real life that the teenagers that were in the class of 1958 at University High School lived. And the, and the people in that class, the, which is where my book Hollywood Eden starts, included Jan Dean, Nancy Sinatra, Bruce Johnston of the Beach Boys, the drummer Sandy Nelson, uh, the record producer, Kim Fowley, even uh, 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 a young girl named Kathy Coner, whose father used her diaries to write a, a, a book about uh, life on the beach and surfing in Southern California, uh, where she was known as Gidget. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was all pretty all-American and everything. And then it, uh, by the end of the decade, I mean, things, it was a whole, the hippie movement turned dark. Do you remember what happened to the original Eden? No. Oh, well, Adam got thrown out. Adam. <laughs> okay, yeah. You know, Joel, you you Point taken. You mentioned the Beach Boys and I'm sure you might have you might have covered this topic in another book you've done, but I've always been fascinated about Brian Wilson and his talent and if people don't realize, uh he spent maybe a year, even more in his house. I mean, have you ever figured out or talked to people? Was it drugs? Was it his dad? Was it anxiety of performing live? What was it about Brian Wilson that kept him so secluded? Well, Brian suffered from mental illness. Many people do. Uh, And in the case of uh, someone who is a a creative genius, who, uh, whose work employs many and creates millions of dollars and who is regarded as a, as a, as an eccentric, you know, it can be disguised under many things, including drug use. But Brian was a schizophrenic. If he hadn't been wealthy and successful, he probably would have been institutionalized. And, uh, he's capable, uh, to the degree that he is these days by virtue of psychotropic drugs. 
Oh, okay. Hey, when when it was when the and we you mentioned in the book the start of that kind of surfer music, and they were putting out album after album after album. Was it a because because you go in the sixties and seventies was kind of a way of life, and in the fifties was it just like groups of guys getting together to make a quick buck? Buck, let's here here's a new form of music coming out. Let's get together, do something in our garage, and make some money. Well, these kids that were in the class of 58 and uh, uh, saw rock and roll uh, as a, a, a mission, as, a, as, a, as a, an aspiration. It was, it was a, a, a life goal. It wasn't something to make a couple of bucks in. That was for older, more cynical people. Uh, but when you know Jan Berry pulled those football players uh, from University High together to sing you know, street corner type songs, uh, in his garage, you know, they were doing it because they thought that was a mission in life. And that's, that's how important rock and roll was to the class of 58. Keep in mind, the class of 58 entered high school in 55. And in September 55, that's when James Dean was killed in a car crash. And that's when Rock Around the Clock by Bill Hayden and Comets was number one on the chart. Wow. So they were the first rock and roll high school class. You know, Elvis was there next year. And by the third year in high school, they were making the records themselves because they were the teenagers who understood the music, not the old guys that ran the record labels. They didn't know what the heck was going on. So do you credit all that with creating the sound that we still listen to and play here at QFM for the Mamas and the Papas, Joni Mitchell, David Crosby, Ronstadt, that whole Laurel Canyon scene eventually was born of that early 50s stuff? Oh, you can draw a direct line in, into that stuff. Okay. My my book starts with a bunch of football players singing in the shower after practice at University High, and it draws a direct line from that to Brian Wilson making Good Vibrations, which was arguably the greatest pop record ever made. Yeah. Yeah. Joel Selvin's with us, and the book is Hollywood Eden, and uh, you can get it on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, all those stores. So, you know, when you get out of the 50s and you get into the 60s, was kind of the end of that whole hippie movement, the uh, Altamont mm. free concert with the Hells Angels that, that, that we've heard so much with the Rolling Stones and, and the death and all that stuff. Was that kind of the end of the hippies? Well, you know, now you're taking me back to the book I wrote about Altamont yeah. in 2016. Sure. I think we and, had you on about that. Yeah, I think we, yeah, well, I think yeah. we did, you know, yeah. I got that question time and time again. And uh, as far as I was concerned, Altamont wasn't the end of anything. It wasn't the end of the Hells Angels. It wasn't the end of the Rolling Stones. It wasn't the end of free concerts in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and it certainly wasn't the end of the counterculture or the underground. Uh, and it wasn't even the end of the 60s, although it was December 1969. You asked me, I, I thought the 60s lasted until, you know, our troops left Saigon in 1975. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Altamont was a, a, a very bad day, and and, and uh, it was the product of a lot of, um, you know, greed and innocence and, and, and uh, just ego. Uh, but... Um, I don't think it. I don't think it substantially altered the course of of, of how the music business went. <laughs> and I don't think you have to pick a decade, Joel. I mean, so many people, the older generation, the hippies, ex hippies, they're going to say the '60s influenced and got, and it did get the ball rolling. But the '70s and the classic rock that came out of the '70s, I don't think that'll ever be, happen again in our lifetime. Oh no! This whole movement. 
that began back in the fifties uh, with that snowball generation. It, it was it, it was that generation's attempt to make their own culture and to distinguish themselves in 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 those kind of broad social terms. And, and rock and roll was the means by which they did so. And the art movement blossomed in the fifties, uh, expanded in the sixties. Uh, and and you know continued to grow throughout the seventies. Kind of reached a peak in the in the in the early mid eighties, like eighty four. Yep. And then you see the art movement start to decline as you know get the the diminishing returns and and the imitations and the and and the loss of an avant garde. It's just like you know the history of the impressionists back at the beginning of the twentieth century, actually. Hey, Joe, what did the other artists think? You know, so this surf beach music wave is starting and it's huge. Po- it, it's hugely popular, uh, much like disco had an era. But then other artists who were in that area just hated the disco scene. What were the other artists, the Elvis and the other people involved in the music in the 50s in general? Think of that that surf beach bo- vibe. Well, that was a very, very brief period. Uh, it's authentic days in 1961 and 62 when there were just like instrumental bands around the South Bay sort of playing to audiences that just got off the beach uh, was, you know, transmogrified by Brian Wilson into this vision, this postcard of, of, of Cal- Southern California life that spread across the country and indeed around the world. But, you know, the Beach Boys stopped making surf music by November of 1963, which is before the Beatles ever hit wow. America. Okay. It was a very yeah. brief period. And also, you know, alongside the, the, the surf songs were the car songs. And both these things were really about larger metaphors. They were about freedom. They were about independence. They were about uh, fresh, vital, vigorous, you know, new frontier, Kennedy America. Because California in those days was very remote from the rest of the country. It was before jet air travel, right? Yeah, so yeah. The, the, all that palm trees and beaches and blonde-haired girls in, in two-piece bathing suits, that just seemed so terribly exotic everywhere else. Right. You know, Ohio. And uh, it captured some kind of, uh, uh, it, it struck some kind of chord in, in, in young America and England and, and elsewhere, but that just, Rang right. It didn't necessarily have to do with the sport of surfing. You know, or, you know, or, or driving a fast car. Joel, you know who has great stories on it is over the years. Torg and I, we've interviewed Bo Bridges and Jeff Bridges. Well, their father, they grew up in Hollywood. They grew up in Malibu because of Lloyd, their father, being on television all those years. They've got well, great stories. University high school students. Oh, they were okay. So they oh, were yeah. there. It was Randy Newman, who's 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 uh, was another yeah. show business kid. Yeah, his his family did um, music for movies. Hey, and, man, uh, it was a groovy time, man. It was a very it was hot. and a place <laughs> at a convergence of time. You know, it was a time and place that was, like, perfect to be an American teenager. Hey, was there ever a, a person that was, boy, destined for greatness and just didn't fulfill their, their talent? Because it's the term one-hit wonders you hear all the time now. Who was the one-hit yeah. wonder back then who was guaranteed stardom and for some reason, whether personal life or just didn't have it flamed out? Well, out of Hollywood Eden, there's you know a few of those, but the, the classic, I think, would be Gary Paxton who uh, was a very tortured hillbilly soul who found his way to Hollywood and hit the charts with alley-oop by the Hollywood Argyles. And, and he was going to go on to incredible success. His next 
record was a thing called Monster Mash by Boris Pickett. <laughs> yeah. And it was the, like the biggest selling record of the year. And then the guy just disappeared into personality problems. And, and, and he reemerged like in the 70s doing Christian rock down in, in uh, Nashville. But uh, yeah, he was a Jeez. very bright light that didn't really get a chance to like, you know, his take his full trajectory. Well, the the book is Hollywood Eden. It came out last month. Joel Selvin is with us, and you've you, I'm looking at your all the books you've uh, written over the years w- dealing with rock and music. What's up next for you, Joel? Oh, scribble, scribble, scribble. You know, there's always yeah. something to write about, and uh, it, you know. Uh, they, they take a while. Uh, I think I started really serious uh, work on Hollywood Eden in 2014. Okay. So you know, uh, you got you got several pots on at any at any time, and you never know which one's going to come to a boil. Hey, Joel, how much this would... one turned out really well? Yeah. Like it. Oh, it's just crushing it as well. It's crushing it with sales too. Hey, when you do your research, and I'm sure you know a lot of rock stars and done a lot of in, uh, interviews and know that, how often in your research do you find out stories that are just, man, I just simply can't print that stuff? Well, uh, yeah, uh, not too much uh, okay. because I have, a, like, you know, my bar on what I print is a little different than that. Um, I, my, my work is known for its sort of candor and its unflinching honesty, if I may say that about myself. Um and, you know, uh, I, li- I like to think of my work as gritty uh, <laughs> or, or keeping it real, something along those lines. Um, I, I don't like to romanticize things. I find that, that, that the emotionalism is much stronger if the, the narrative is, is, is authentic and genuine. Honesty is the best policy. Honesty is the best policy. Joel, if you'd have been in high school back in the Hollywood 1958 there or whatever, would you have been a greaser or would you, would you have been a jock? I think you'd have been a greaser. No, I would have been a nerd just like I am now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, get the book, Hollywood Eden. Joel, thanks so much for the time, man. Appreciate it. Good stuff. All right, fellas, next time. All right, far out.